hygiene, washing, and brainwashing. Even in the most anti-establishment of underground circles, I'm amazed by how frequently I hear people complain about people they call hippies or crusty punks. These crusty punks came in here and smelled up the whole place, they'll say. What great transgression have these people committed to be so reviled? They have a different orientation to the question of cleanliness than the rest of us do. Where do our ideas and values about so-called cleanliness come from, anyway? Western civilization has a long history of associating cleanliness with goodness and merit, best summed up by the old expression, cleanliness is next to godliness. In ancient Greek plays, evil people and spirits, the Furies, for example, were often described as filthy. The Furies were dirty, aged, and female, exactly the opposite of how the playwright who described them saw himself. Their filthiness, among other things, identified them as an outgroup, as alien, animal, inhuman. Over time, cleanliness became a measure with which the have separated themselves from the have-nots. Those who possessed the wealth and power required to have the leisure to remain indoors, inactive, scorned the peasants and travelers whose lifestyles involved getting their hands and bodies dirty. Throughout history, we can see that cleanliness has been used as a standard of worth by those with power to ascribe social status. And thus, the godly, the self-proclaimed holy ones who stood above the rest of us in hierarchical society, proclaiming that their cleanliness, bought with the labor of others who were forced to work for them, was a measure of their godliness and superiority. To this day, we accept the traditional belief that being clean, according to social norms, is desirable in itself. It should be clear from the history of our ideas about cleanliness that anyone who is critical of mainstream values, any radical or punk rocker, should be extremely suspicious of the great value placed on being clean, according to traditional standards. Besides, what exactly does clean mean? These days, cleanliness is defined by more corporations selling sanitation products than by anyone else. This is important to keep in mind. Certainly, most of these products have an uncanny ability to cut through natural dirt and grime. But does removing natural dirt and grime with synthetic chemicals necessarily constitute the only acceptable form of sanitation? I'm at least as frightened by these manufactured artificial products as I am of a little dust, mud, or sweat. Or, God forbid, a stain from food or blood on my shirt. At least I know where the filth came from and what it's made of. The idea that it is worthwhile to use chemicals, whether they be deodorant, detergent, or shampoo, to eradicate or organic dirt has some frightening implications, too. First, it supports the old Christian superstition that the biological body is shameful and should be hidden, that our bodies and our existence in the physical world as animals are intrinsically disgusting and sinful. This valuation has been used to keep us insecure and ashamed, and thus at the mercy of the priests and other authorities who tell us how to become pure, once by submitting to their holy denial of the self, and now by spending plenty of money on the various sanitation products they want to sell us. Also, as capitalism transforms the entire world from the organic, forests, swamps, deserts, rivers, to the inorganic, cities of concrete and steel, suburbs of asphalt and astroturf, wastelands that have been stripped of all natural resources, garbage dumps. The idea that there is something more worthwhile about synthetic chemicals than natural dirt implies that this transformation might actually be a good thing, and thus implicitly justifies their profit-motivated destruction of our planet. In reality, these corporations are far less concerned with our health and cleanliness than they are with selling us their products. They use the high value we place on sanitation to sell us all sorts of products in its name. And who knows what the real long-term health effects of these products are? They certainly don't care. If we do eventually get sick from using their special cleansers and high-tech shampoos, they can just sell us another product, medicine, and keep the wheels of the capitalist economy turning. And the shame about our bodies, as producers of sweat and other natural fluids, which we deem dirty, 
that they capitalize on and encourage also aids them in selling us other products which depend upon our insecurity, diet products, exercise products, fashionable clothes, etc. When we accept their definition of cleanliness, we are accepting their economic domination of our lives. Even if they agree about the questionable nature of today's sanitation products, most people today would still argue that sanitation is still healthier than filth. To some extent, this is true. It probably is a good idea to wash your feet if you step in shit. But aside from obvious cases like that, there are a thousand different standards of which it is clean and what is dirty across the world. If you look at different societies and civilizations, you will come across health practices that seem suicidal by our sanitation standards, and yet these people survived as well as we do. People in Africa a few hundred years ago lived comfortably in a natural environment that destroyed many of the very prim and polished Western explorers that came to their continent. Human beings can adapt to a wide variety of environments and situations, and it seems that the question of what kinds of sanitation are healthy is at least as much a question of convention as of hard-set biological rules. Try violating a few of the common-sense rules of Western sanitation sometimes. You'll find that eating out of garbage cans and going a few weeks without a shower aren't really as dangerous or difficult as we were taught. Perhaps the most important question when it comes to the unusual value we place on traditional cleanliness is what we lose by doing this. Once, before we covered up our natural sense with chemicals, each of us had a unique smell. These scents attracted us to each other and bound us emotionally to each other through memory and association. Now, if you have positive as associations with the scent of the man you love, it is probably his cologne, identical to the cologne of thousands of other men that you enjoy, not his own personal scent. And the natural pheromones with which we once communicated with each other, which played such an important role in our sexuality, are now completely smothered by standardized chemical products. We no longer know what it is like to be pure, natural human beings, to smell like real human beings. Who knows how much we may have lost because of this? Those who find me disgusting for enjoying the scent and taste of my lover when she hasn't showered or rum synthetics all over herself, when she smells like a real human being, are probably the same ones who shudder at the idea of digging a vegetable out of the ground and eating it instead of the plastic wrap, man-made fast food that we have all been brought up on. We have become so accustomed to our domesticated, engineered existence that we don't even know what we're missing. So try to be a little more open-minded when it comes to the crusties. Perhaps they just smell bad to you because you've never gotten a chance to discover what a real human being smells like. Perhaps there is something worthwhile about being unwashed that you haven't noticed it before. The moral of the story is the moral of all anarchist stories, except only the rules and values which really make sense to you. Figure out what's right for you and don't let anybody tell you different. But also, make an effort to understand where others are coming from and evaluate their actions by your own standards, not according to some standardized norm.